You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, my guest, Jim Shields. Welcome, Jim. Jim, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to share with the audience a little bit about you and your story. And, you know, there's so many things that I I think about, the things that people are taught about money. And when I was a kid, we were taught, get a job, work hard, save money for 20, 30, 40 years. And that just never set well with me, even though I started out in Wall Street and helping people financially plan, uh, which is a joke, right? It just never seemed right to spend that much time. And I know that you've had success in a really uh, short period of of time or the the time that you, when you started, it it didn't take you a long time to start to build cash flow. And I don't want to give away your story. I want you to tell it. And how about we just start there and you just tell everybody your story and start from wherever you want. Yeah, I was, I was like you, Jim. I, I grew up probably about 30 minutes from Wall Street and it never made sense to me. But I had been fed the same same story of, you know, get a job, work 30 years there, they'll take care of you, you know, and you get your one week vacation or two weeks vacation. It just, it didn't set with me. And, and the, I was a tangible guy. Wall Street never made sense to me. And when I started to read that I wanted to do something on my own, I probably read something you did, not seven out of 10 millionaires made their money in real estate. I thought, wow, that was interesting. So it all started 24 years ago for me in Lompoc, California with my first fixer upper. You know, that first one, that 432 North M Street, I'll never forget it. It was the biggest lesson I ever encountered. And, uh, and I found that what separated me from poverty or near poverty to abundance was I learned one thing. I learned how to find a, a, a distressed piece of property, fix it up, and either rent it or sell it. That was it. That was my life for, you know, many years. And then about 10 years ago, I figured, what well, what if instead of, finding an old house to fix up, what if I just built new houses? And uh, now my building partner and I um, have probably the largest build-to-rent company in Florida, you know, with over 6,000 lots in store. We've built over 2,000 properties and, and, uh, and that all came from that first fixer-up. So build-to-rent, you're going in and you're buying land or you're buying a section or a neighborhood mm-hmm. And for people out there that don't know what build the rent means or they haven't seen that, I'm not saying it. I mean, it's relatively new, right? That well, definitely um, in the last. Tell everybody, explain what you mean by build the rent. Yeah. So we build property to become rentals. Now, these properties could be sold to retail buyers, and we do sell some of them to retail buyers, but we like the investor. We know where we, we, where our company says we're in. We build for investors by investors because, you know, my, my building partner and I, we did bulk foreclosures for years, you know, when the 08 meltdown happened, we were buying large amounts of these old foreclosures, fixing them up, renting them for ourselves or working with investors and managing for them. And the new construction just had less headaches, less maintenance repairs, better resellability, better growth patterns. So we build new construction in high growth areas in Florida. Um, that single family duplexes and quads. So we stick with the residential real estate, you know, going all the way up to the four units where you can still get that good Fannie Mae financing. Uh, but, but we build new construction properties in high growth areas, you know, and we also like to build in areas where there's a lot of home ownership. 
Uh, we like that balance of, of both owners and renters. Uh, and by building, we're a, by picking our building spots, we're able to do that a lot more advantageously than most. That's awesome. Do you have anything going on in Southwest Florida? <laughs> we have a ton going on in Southwest Florida. Right. And something that you and I were just, you know, dialing off, dialoguing on before we got on, you know, we had hundreds of projects going on when Hurricane Ian hit. Yeah. And, and the new construction, when people say like they come to Florida, oh, I'm worried about hurricanes. And I was in California before, you know, so I got used to earthquakes and you had to get used to hurricanes. You know, we, out of 278 projects, we had four after Hurricane Ian, and we were building in Fort Myers, in Punta Gorda, where the eye went right over. We only had four that needed insurance claims. And those four were freestanding walls. We hadn't been able to tie on the roofs yet, so the walls just fell over. So it was just over the $5,000 limit. But the thing about new construction, if you build anything in Florida after 2004, you got to build up 12 or 13 feet higher. You have to use stronger safety precautions and fasteners to newer hurricane codes. And that gives you a whole different level of protection against hurricanes. And we had no flooding on any of our properties. And you know, the majority of damage doesn't come from wind in hurricanes. It comes from flooding. Uh, and the new construction, when you build up, you avoid that very, very uh, substantially more than old construction. So you know what's funny, Jim? You just said a lot there that hits close to home because I bought my house in April of 21. Remember when we were all going to die? Yep. And I got a great deal on my house, right? My house is 12 feet high. I got that much water, right? Yeah. Now, you probably already know this. That much water, that's enough. Right? It's enough to make it a problem. So, you know, we did get damaged, but 155 mile an hour winds, the only thing that was damaged, and it wasn't completely torn out or anything, it was just the screen and a little bit of the base was my uh, lanai uh, cage, right? I mean, it was damaged a little bit, but that's 155 mile an hour winds at my house. And honestly, if I would have gotten the 10 guys out there putting sandbags up six inches, I wouldn't have gotten any water. And guess what? Next time I will. But you know, that, that hurricane took a 70 degree turn, which was what I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, but to your point, you know, I always tell people we living in Southwest Florida, living in you know, most of Florida, honestly, it's like living in paradise. I walk outside. I don't have to think about, can I wear shorts? Can I not? Do I need a jacket? Do I, I mean, 90% of the time. And I always tell people there's two or three days a year that really aren't good golf days. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, every place you go, I'm not worried about hurricanes, but let's go back to this. What, what are some of the motivations that people are having for, um, to rent rather than buy? I mean, I just what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. That, that, from what I've seen, the, the rental growth really started after 08. It's just this, why would you own property? Look at this risk. And I saw, I mean, I remember seeing arguments online in different real estate groups and that, well, it's crazy to buy, or entrepreneur groups, crazy to buy now. Why would you do that? And this was in 2011. Yeah. And so you and I know what has happened since 2011. I think there's just more of a renter's mindset. I see it with, you know, I have a large family. Some of my nieces and nephews are really looking to buy a home or my own children are, uh, who are now, you know, almost 18, and almost 20. There's others that are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to own a home. That's crazy. And I just go with it. I don't try to change people's mindsets too much. I give a little bit of what has created and worked for me. 
but there is some sort of mentality out there of a renter's mindset. And especially when it comes to affordable housing. And so that's been to our advantage, especially through the pandemic. You and I watched. I mean, the growth projections for Florida were there in 2019. We all knew it. Florida was supposed to grow. Nobody saw the hockey stick of growth where all of a sudden people saw our living conditions very favorable through the pandemic. They saw our landlord laws extremely favorable from the investor side, mm-hmm. uh, which is important. So that's, and that's something for Florida in general, if I'm sure why both of us are here as investors. Yep. Jim, you got to be able to collect your rent. I mean, that's a pretty basic thing. And man, I had some friends in Northern California and some friends in upstate New York. I had to cheerlead them through the pandemic. They were not collecting rent eight, 10, 14 months. That is detrimental to your financial security. And, uh, and that's been really important for me and the investors I work with. How can I hedge them against the risk? Well, the risk of having big repair bills and the risk of not being able to collect rent by doing new construction and doing it in Florida has been a good thing. So, you know, you think about it, you know, when people say they're in the real, you know, they say I'm a real estate investor on this, you're, you know, you're in the real estate business. And so as a business, if your customers can't pay you or they don't have to pay you, guess what? You go out of business, right? So I think it's the, the weirdest thing in the world that a state would protect the customer, not paying the owner for goods or services provided. And, and so I agree with you that Florida is a great place to do business. You know, we, we have a few things in Tennessee and Kentucky and Tennessee's great. Yeah. For those states that, you know, uh, people are flocking to and Tennessee being one for sure, because of favorable taxes, quality of life is great. I'm, I'm originally from California. And so I, I get it. I mean, California is the prettiest state in the country, but it's, you know, might be the most, well, I'm going to say New York's the most screwed up state, but California is <laughs> right, right there behind. Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty, pretty close. close from the business, business mindset. I like to visit both. Yeah. I would not, I, I sold my last rental property in California in 2017, I believe. And, yeah. uh, yeah, just, I, I like to be able to collect rent. I don't like to, you know, you and I going from California to Florida. When I originally came to Florida, I always joked I saved 9.9% because yeah. I don't have that state income tax. Now, I think it's 13.5% yeah. that a California person who moves from here to Florida saves. That's not chump change. That starts to add up, especially as you start to develop your wealth. Um, yeah. And I just couldn't agree with that. I'll visit California, New York, Jim, yeah. uh, but I'm not going to put me or my investors there. So, you know, what's funny about that is I showed somebody one time, a guy who was a doctor, he was living in a state and it was like eight or 9%. And I said, you know, what's your house worth? And he, you know, he said a couple million bucks. It was in the Midwest. It was a really nice house in the Midwest for a couple million bucks. Yeah. And I said, you do realize that if you just move over the border three miles, that that house is basically free because of your tax savings. And you could build the house over there and, you know, like you could have like this, this, and this. And he was like, man, I don't know why I never thought about that. It seems so obvious. And he, and he did it. And he, and he always said, you know, Jim showed me how to pay for my house for free. And I'm like, I don't think I showed you how to pay for that. But it's, you know, when you're making him, he would, you know, he was, he was a orthopedic surgeon. He's making 1.5, somewhere in that range. I mean, do that. You could buy a hell of a house and have a hell of a mortgage for that amount of money per month. So something else that you talked about is 
you know, like people sometimes when I'm talking to people about financial freedom and financial independence and real estate, and there is a tsunami of affordable housing need. And I don't care if you're, you want to be the RV park guy, you want to be the rent, the, the, the build a rent person and build that. You got to do something. And so talk about that pivot you had that, that just made you take action. Yeah. Some of the best advice I got years ago, Jim, was when I fir first started in real estate 24 years ago, a mentor of mine who had been in the game a long time said, a real successful real estate investor can tell you in one sentence what they do. Because like you just said, you get into the inside track, you get into the zone, you are become the, the category king, the master of that. And that's when you get really good. When, I, when you're like, well, I wholesale some deals and I, you know, do a little of this and a little of that. You're kind of that jack of all trades, master of none. So yeah. I remember always trying to get myself into like high buy, fix and resell hub foreclosures to first time home buyers. That was my first niche like that I went really deep into. And then I, I, I buy, fix and rents foreclosures, you know, and that became, that became my, my niche. And then it's like, now I build, I do build to rent in high growth areas in Florida. That's it, you know? And. It's funny you said that. Yeah, I had a side project where I was a partner in an RV resort, uh, but I have my niche. And, and, and the niche of going from build to rent, you know, which started about almost 10 years ago now, is it was a need. You know, by this time of 2014, to, a lot of investors here in Northeast Florida were jumping into the game, bidding up these fixer-upper properties where the numbers didn't make sense more or for them to make sense, you'd have to cut corners on the rehab. And man, that comes back to your wallet real heavily in the next few years with deferred maintenance. I just didn't like that. So it was literally a scratching head experiment saying, well, instead of finding old fixer uppers, what if we built from scratch? Could that work? Yeah. I love, that. I love that concept. I love that idea. You know, it's funny you mentioned like 2011 because uh, down in <laughs> Naples, I was buying these little houses in this one area that was kind of. There's no HOA. It's kind of turning over. It's called Naples Park. And I bought these houses and average I paid for them between 2009 and almost 2011 was like 190 grand, right? And in Naples. In Naples, right? And so then I sold them, you know, like over a few years and they were all, all of them doubled, right? Yeah. In two or three years. Right? And I thought I'm getting out at the right time. And that, those houses, they're a million bucks. I mean, they're at least 800, maybe 900 at the lowest. And yeah. so I think to myself, you know, we really didn't have Airbnb back there. At least I didn't know anything about Airbnb back then. But man, if I had those houses now, they would just be cash flow machines, man. Uh, so I think about that. I also think about people when they go, well, this isn't the right time to get in the market or this isn't, there's no, you know, like I always love that. I always love that because there's so many things to think about, but you know, something you said reminds me of that it's a book, it's a concept from strategic coach, but it's who not how. And so if you are like, I know what I do and I know how to buy businesses and tighten up the cash flow and then grow it. And I know how to do that, right? but I don't know how to operate RV parks. And you said, and, and I don't know how to, build water parks inside the RV park that I'm making a thousand bucks an hour on, like some of my friends, but guess what? I do know those guys. And so I can partner with those guys. Like you just exactly. said, you have an expertise. So how do you have 
partners? Are you looking for people to invest? If you are, how does somebody, how does somebody uh, contact you or what's the process? Yeah. So we, we are always bringing on investors. The good thing is we were, we, we were bought into by a large Japanese company called Sumitomo um, beginning of this year. You see them all over the newspapers now, large Japanese group. They build 17,000 houses worldwide. The reason I tell you this is we still retain ownership and autonomy of how to run it, but they help finance. It's a very Warren Buffett mom. Um, if you, you know, Warren Buffett buys into a company, gives them all the capital they need and lets them run it. That's what we got with Sumitomo. And um, this gives us the ability to keep building on demand where most builders have to stop. They're going in and arguing with their bankers and going around. We have full building capability. So we can finish a new construction home for people now. In, they can close on it in less than 90 days, new construction. Other people are waiting a year, year and a half. And so this means with the amount of volume, we're always bringing on new investors to our program. So if someone's looking to build a portfolio, new construction in Florida with management in place, we do that. We also, Jim, work with a lot of people from areas that you named, you know, and we joked about where we came, you know, California, New York, these people don't want to be involved in real estate in their area. Um, and they might be uh, own brokerages or, or have their own, you know, investor groups. And, and then we set up sales partnerships with them where they're like, hey, I have a brokerage. I just talked to someone in Portland. I have a ton of investors out here that are wanting to buy everything out of your stinks cash flow wise. And I'm not excited about the landlord laws. Could we team up with you? And now we, you know, we have a sales partnership agreement with, with brokerages out in those kind of areas. So if you're an agent or a broker and you have investors and your own backyard doesn't work, we can open you up to Florida. If you're an individual investor and you're like, man, I've always wanted to own a portfolio in Florida, but didn't know how, we can answer that. And we've done it for hundreds of people before. Right now we have over 850 active investors. So Jim, tell people how they get a hold of you or how they contact you, how they initiate the process. Yeah, if you want to learn more about my story and our Build to Rent program, you can look up jjplaybook.com. That was uh, written by me and my wife. You know, how did we start with our small investor and then build into this large 170 plus person build to rent team? Um, but it talks about our program, why we went from old construction to new construction. How do we get our own passive income over $40,000 a month using build to rent? Um, and you can learn about us at jjplaybook.com or go right to our uh, southernimpressionhomes.com, which is our building company. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, Jim. So, um, let me ask you a couple of questions. One, sure. maybe, or maybe you already gave it to me, but what's the best advice anybody's ever given you? Real estate wise, the best advice was that, can you say your niche in one sentence? It just, it makes, it gets you on the inside track, Jim. And I've seen too many guys, oh, I wholesale and then I'm looking to, to, to build, build an RV resort or, and then I'm going to maybe buy this, do a syndication with this apartment building and I'm flipping a few houses like so that's the advice. Can you say your niche in one sentence? And if you can, you usually go deeper and deeper and you get better and better. And, and that's when there's a joke. It can become more boring what you do, but it starts to print money. Right. And that's kind of what I'm looking for in my real estate investing. You know, you've heard a lot of people say, you know, hey, if you can't explain this to a fourth grader or fifth grader, then you, then you don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, there's a lot of different little things about how well you know your subject. And sometimes when people ask me, hey, Jim, what do you do? And I say, I, I free slaves. And, and they, you know, they laugh and they say, and I say, well, I'm, I'm serious. You know, we're financial slaves. Most people don't realize yeah, that you're exchanging true. time for money, that you're a slave. Yep. Also, the government is debasing the, 
money that you're exchanging your time for. So if our life is measured in time on this earth and you're exchanging your time for money that they're debasing, they're stealing your life. And yep. that's the very definition of slavery. So what I do is I show people how to get out of that to some degree, whatever degree that it's Love it. but for them. But you know, when I say that, always get a reaction, whether it's on the golf course or on a boat or wherever it's at. So I love that you say that because you do need to know, and everybody has a unique ability. Everybody has a unique ability and you have to figure out what yours is. And until you do, then go find somebody that has one that you believe in, you trust and, and work with them and learn from them. Right. I mean, just watch. All right. Second thing is if God came down from heaven, Jim, and only allowed you to retain the knowledge that you've received from one book, what would that book be? Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. It is a tough one. You know, I've read so many good books. I, th I think the book that really opened my eyes to taking control of my own life, though, was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was really important for me. It, it's, it's a tough one because... I believe there's three things not taught in school, Jim, personal development, relationship skills, and financial intelligence. And for a happy, a, a successful life, personal and professionally, you need those three things. So at the time with my early twenties, I was lucky to have someone present me with seven habits of highly effective people and then rich dad, poor dad, or, and, and the richest man in Babylon. And those books covered those three things. And I'm going, God dang, I'm, I'm just out of college. No one taught me personal development. No one taught me relationship skills. No one taught me financial intelligence. Yet that's what I lean on. That's why you and I go to strategic coach and things like that. Those are the three things I'm learning. And so it'd be one of those two books probably. But Seven Habits probably, and then a, a short backup would be like Richest Man in Babylon or, or, or Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So before we uh, recorded, Jim, and this is one of the reasons I got a t-shirt on because I was, I was hitting the gym and I had Dan Sullivan the book, um, Simplifier, Multiplier, Collaboration. And what I think is so cool about, or one of the things that's so cool about Dan Sullivan is he writes a new book every 90 days, but he writes it on one thing. Now, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I love that book. I wish it was seven different books. By it's, the it's a thick read, isn't it? It's a super thick read, and I force myself through it, but yeah, you're right. That it takes up many people skim through it. Like, but you have to take each habit and do a deep dive. Yep. I mean, write it up over here. I have a, a white I have my whole wall painted in whiteboard paint and I write stuff up there. I mean, if I took the seven habits, broke down, you got to really break it down and deep into that book. Because what I love about Sullivan, if it's who, not how, it's one book, two hours of listening, one hour of reading, 40 minutes of a video. There's cartoons, there's worksheets. It's one thing, right? Yeah. And when I get done spending three or four hours on that, I did all of it, I got the concept down, right? Instead of somebody going, okay, begin with the end of mind. Okay, got it. That's a good habit. Boom. No, no, no. You got to dig into that. And I think when you dig into that, then you get this foundation. Then you get what you're talking about. That's why that book had an impact on you, had an impact on me. Richest man of Babylon. One of the tenets in Richest Man of Babylon is what you were talking about earlier, is invest in what you know. And that and that would have been, you know, for the the advice, if I had to say, besides that niche, it is yeah. a it's unique ability. It yeah, it is going deep into what your talents are. We are always taught 
oh, you got to learn, like Dan, what does Dan say? If you work on your weaknesses, you'll have strong weaknesses. Like stay in your genius, delegate and collaborate on all the rest. And that, that has been a game changer for me. It was almost like we, we, I'm sure you had this, Jim. I, I would hold this guilt that I wasn't good at something. Yeah. And I was like, hell no, be proud of that. And own and go so deep into what you're good at that you're irreplaceable in that one thing. And that can be just enough. And that changed. That's how I tripled my wealth. It was really when I started to own that unique ability and say, I stink at all these other things, but man, I'm good at this. And I'm going to go deep and I'm going to hold myself there. And, and that was a game changer. I can't agree with you more, Jim. Um, you know, when, when I did the Colby and I was a 10 quick start. <laughs> You're and a 10, I, huh? Yeah. And I, and I thought, oh, gosh, I should be a better fact finder. I should be a better implementer. And I thought, Goodness. and then, then, then I listened to something from Sullivan and he was like, I'm a 10 quick start and there's not very many 10 quick starts, but that means, you know, you don't meet with me unless you've got an impact filter. You don't meet. I do one and that's all I, and in my organization, I've got lots of people are good implementers are, are great at processing things. And I just let them do it. And you're exactly right. I look at my day and I think, wow, I, I really was productive today. We made a lot of money today in that 90 minutes that I work, you know, and, and it's because those 90 minutes are in my unique ability. Yeah. I can spend eight hours outside my unique ability and not make a 10th of what we produce. And we produce the only way we get is if we help somebody else. So that's when we're making money, we're helping other people. And I know that that's what you guys do too. So it's cool. And I always like talk, talking to strategic coach guys because, you, you know, you get it and have over on my wall right here in the corner, the, you know, that original strategy circle that they printed out. And I just mm-hmm. I had it framed and it's like, I have to think to myself about that vote of process. And that's what I, that's why I got this up here on the wall is in, probably this weekend, it's going to be completely erased and redone. I just keep on doing it, yeah. it and getting it you know, tighter and tighter and tighter. So success leaves clues, man. It leaves, leaves yep. the trail. So I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your thoughts with us. And thanks for being on the show, Jim. And we're going to wrap this up like we do every episode with the incredible words of Earl Nightingale and the strangest secret. So take it away, Earl. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening.